Look upon God's face. Happiness. Family. No sin. No pain. No sorrow. No darkness. No sadness. Keep going. No tears. He's going to wipe them all away. Singing praise and glory. We enjoy that here and now, don't we? But boy, I'm going to tell you, it's nothing like what's going to be when we get to glory. Somebody else over here? See your loved ones, yep. Somebody said, see Jesus. Somebody else said, no more sin. How about this one? What does John say? First John chapter 3, verse 2. We will become like him because we'll see him as he is. Wow. No wonder we look forward to that day when we get to glory. All right. Well, God expects us to continue living on for him in the here and now. So I'd like you to take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Philippians. We're jumping back into Philippians this morning. It was great to have our missionaries uh, or some... One missionary that we support, another missionary that we're very familiar with uh, in the Pitsleys. So we had the Pitsleys and the Beckleys here for the last two weeks. It's great to have them. Great to be reminded of God's work around the world, especially in Africa, because that's where the Pitsleys and the Beckleys both are. Um, uh, so it was great to be renewed in our spirit and hear what God is doing in and through them. Now, as we jump back into our study in Philippians, let's just do a, a very quick, a very brief review. Um, we, we, we look back to Philippians chapter 2, and we see Paul telling us about Jesus, and who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, um, but he took upon himself the form of a servant and became uh, a servant, he became a human, so that he could pay the penalty for our sins. Wow. So that we could look forward to getting to heaven. You see, there was no guarantee of heaven until Christ died on the cross and set us free from our sins. So Paul reminded us in Philippians chapter 2 about the kind of mindset believers should have. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. That mindset of humility, that mindset of servanthood, that mindset of looking out for others' well-being over and above our own well-being. And then he moved on to this in the second half of that chapter, and he reminded us about Timothy and Epaphroditus, a couple of individuals that we would do well to follow their examples. Their examples of selfless service, their examples of Christian living, their example of desiring to put God first in their lives and everything else falls to the back burners. That's the kind of people that Timothy and Epaphroditus were. In fact, Epaphroditus so much so that he nearly died serving God while serving the Apostle Paul. Wow. Paul says he was sick unto death as he represented you in the ministry. Remember, Epaphroditus was sent to serve Paul and to serve God. And, and in his serving, he, he, he poured everything he had into serving God. And then in chapter 3, Paul gave us an example of how to live the Christian life. Uh, of all of the, the things that Paul had accomplished in his previous, prior to knowing Christ, his life before that, which many people would say, wow, look at Paul. 
He was a member of the Pharisees. He was a religious man. He had it all together. He was the one who just, you know, you wanted to be like the Apostle Paul because spiritually speaking, he was at the top of the game. And Paul says, ah, not so much. That was all about me. That was all about how um, I could impress people. Those things, they really accomplished nothing as far as making me right with God. You see, because they were all works. And you and I know, Scripture teaches us that we can't be saved by works. We can't gain merit with God by works. Works don't do anything to get us right with God. It's all about Jesus Christ, that mindset of submitting himself to death to pay for our sinfulness and then to give to us his righteousness. Paul says, I don't have any righteousness in of myself. The righteousness I have, it all comes from Christ. And so as we think about those things, we, we want to be reminded of the fact that God has called us as individuals to a task. And he's called us to live like Christ, to become more and more like Jesus Christ. Like Timothy and Epaphroditus were striving for in their lifestyle as they served others. We need to understand that as we serve others, it's not necessarily going to be an easy task, right? We saw that in Epaphroditus' life. We saw that in Timothy's life. If you read the epistles of 1 and 2 Timothy, where Paul instructs Timothy about how to pastor churches, how to lead churches, um, Timothy was in a tough spot, and so much so that Paul says, let no one despise your youth. People were looking down on Timothy because of his commitment to Christ and his youthful status. And Paul says, don't let that bother you. Keep striving. In fact, you know what he was saying? He was saying, never give up. Never give up. Virginia and I have this thing going uh, in our conversations. We talk about a famous person from history. A guy by the name of Winston Churchill. Winston Churchill was famous for that line, never give up, never give up, never, ever, ever give up. No matter how bleak it might look, no matter how discouraged you might be in life, no matter how much depression is sucking the life out of you, never give up. And that's what we find here in Philippians chapter 3. If you have not taken your Bibles yet and turned to that passage, would you please do so at this point in time? We're going to look at verses 12 through 16 this morning. Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Now, if your Bible has uh, paragraph breakdowns in it and titles over those paragraphs, there's a pretty good chance that your Bible has this for the title, Pressing Toward the Goal. Pressing on. And that idea of pressing means pursuing with everything you've got. Never giving up. This is a nice passage of scripture to study because as we study it, there's so many words in there that we can dig into and pictures that Paul paints for us as we strive to be faithful followers of the word of God and of of Jesus Christ himself. There's lots of creative writing that we see from the pen of the apostle Paul as he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to help us get a grasp of what it means to press on toward the mark of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So would you stand with me as we read Philippians chapter 3 verses 12 
through 16. Read together with me from the screen, if you would. Philippians 3, 12 through 16. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us as many as are mature have this mind, And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that I have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. All right, let's remain standing as we pray and ask God's blessing upon our time together. And just, oh, she just walked out of view. Wanda just arrived. So praise the Lord for that. Let's pray and ask God's blessing upon our service and thank him for answering a prayer request that we've already offered up this morning with regard to the Petrellas joining us today. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning and what an amazing passage of scripture we have just read. A challenge to each one of us to press on to become more and more like our Savior, Jesus Christ. A challenge to live for our Savior, to live as though we are trying to emulate the very steps that he took. To live the way that would honor him and glorify him and bring uh, great appreciation for him and thanksgiving to him for all that he has accomplished in our lives. Father, bless our time in your word together. Thank you for uh, allowing the Petrellas to join us this morning. What a blessing that is. We ask, Lord, that they would be encouraged as they um, worship with us, and we would be encouraged because they're joining with us together this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. I'm writing a note to Timothy because I need him to pull something up for me for the end of the service. Thank you. It's a song I want you to pull up for us, Timothy, if you would, please. Okay, so Philippians chapter 3, and the idea of our uh, time together this morning is never give up. So as Christians, even though we find ourselves in difficult times, we find ourselves in times where it's hard to press on, where it would be easy to just say, you know what, I give up. I'm I'm just going to take a pass on this one. I'm going to let other people deal with that. I'm going to just step to the side and, and not worry about it. We shouldn't do that. We should press on. Now, Paul is trying to remind us that in in everything in life, God has a purpose. And we could boil it down to one simple thought. You know what God's purpose is for everyone in this room this morning? You say, Pastor, how can you be so, so definite that this is God's? Well, because God wants every one of us in this room this morning, every child of God, to become more like Jesus. That's what he wants. 
Now, he leads us down different paths. He has different things going on in our lives. He has things that we don't expect sometimes to come our way. But you know what? Everything that comes our way is for a purpose. We know that from Paul's writing in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. Now, oftentimes people will take that amazing passage of Scripture and, and say, oh, I broke my leg, that's, for my, that's, that's working out for my good. Or I had a burst appendix, that's working out for my good. And to a degree it is, but it's not just the event that made it good. It's the fact that God is going to use that event in your life for a purpose. And as we read on through the rest of Romans chapter 8, we find out what that purpose is. And that purpose is that we might be conformed to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. So in your life, it might take a broken leg to help you get to the point where you are willing to be conformed to the image of Christ. It might take a job loss. It might take the loss of a loved one. We don't know what God is going to do in each one of our lives to conform us to that image of Christ. But we know that it works out for our good because the more and more we become like Jesus Christ, the better it is for us. So Paul says, don't ever give up on that purpose. Don't ever give up in that striving to become like Jesus Christ. Now, as we read the passage, Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16, we could pick out... if we were maybe focused on it, we could pick out that there are some things in the, Apostles Paul, in the Apostle Paul's life that we need to focus on in our own lives. First of all, I want you to see that there are things that Paul writes here to help us see the significance and the importance of pressing on for the prize of the upward call. And what is the upward call? Well, there's no better call than the call to be like Jesus. What was going on in Paul's life at this point that he could say, I'm pressing on? And maybe we can draw from his life to help us move in the same direction. First of all, we see in verses 12 and 13 that Paul was not satisfied with his accomplishments. We've talked about them briefly. He had some pretty impressive accomplishments on his resume, didn't he? If you looked at Paul's resume, you would say, I I want that guy in my company. I want him to be on my team because, man, he can get things done. But Paul was not satisfied with his accomplishments. As we read verses 12 and 13, you could see the dissatisfaction in his life. He was not satisfied. Look at what he says here, verse 12. Not that I have already attained or I am already perfected. So we see here that he was not content with his current status. Sometimes in our Christian life, we get content with where we are. We get pretty satisfied with how things are, and it's okay for things to remain status quo. God, just keep things the way they are, and I'll be good with that. Well, Paul wasn't satisfied. He wasn't content with where he was in life. Not that I have already attained. Notice this. Paul is not one who simply participates in life. He's not just a participant. Now, he says here, not that I have attained. This is a different word than what he used in verse 11, where he said this. Um, 
If by any means I may attain to the resurrection of the dead. The word in verse 11 meant to be a partaker or, or to be one who has arrived at a particular point. Paul longed for the resurrection because he knew that when he was resurrected, he would see Jesus face to face and he would become like Jesus. Make no mistakes, he was fully engaged and he would stay to the very end till he served out God's perfect purpose in his life. To the very end, he was, in fact, he said, I'd rather be in heaven, but it's more, I'm not going to say more better. It's better for you if I stay here and remain and serve you. Okay? That was Paul's attitude. So he wasn't just participating for the sake of participating, but what was Paul doing? Paul was one who continues to pursue. He was a pursuer. This word attain here in the Greek means to lay hold of or to take possession of, to acquire something. Now, we are in the midst of the 2021, how odd is that, Olympics. Supposed to take place on even years, but they postponed them from last year, okay? So we are in the midst of the Olympic Games. Every one of those athletes that, go, that went to Tokyo are there for a purpose. They're there to compete, but more than that, they're there to compete for a medal. And if you ask every one of them, they, they're not going to tell you, oh, we're just here to participate. No, they're there to win. And yes, they, you know, if you can get on the platform, that's cool. But you know what? It's best to get the gold. So that's what they're all striving for. They're all going for the gold. They're all putting everything they have into it. They're stressing, they're striving, they're pursuing to attain, to lay hold of that gold medal. And no matter what country you're from, no matter how easy it was for you to get there. Remember Hussein Bolt, fastest man in the world. This is the first, Olymp- first in three Olympic series, so like 12, 13 years, that, Olymp- that Usain Bolt hasn't been running. He was the fastest man in the world. No question about it, hands down. But everybody who ran against him ran to win the gold medal. They didn't just get there to show up and compete. Their goal was to win the gold. So they were pushing on. They were pursuing. They were running as fast as they could. They were giving it all they could to win the gold. That's the idea here. Paul says, I am pressing on. I am pursuing. I'm not going to give up till I lay hold of it. And we need to have that attitude in the Christian life. We need to be running as hard as we can, as fast as we can. And we need to be striving for that Well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of the rest of Jesus Christ. Paul says, I'm never giving up. I'm pressing on. I'm going to do my best. What else do we see in Paul's life here? He wasn't content with his current status, but we also see he knew he was not complete. He knew he had to keep working at doing his best for Christ. I watched a little bit of beach volleyball last night. Dahlhauser, I think, is the name of the American guy who's been playing in the Olympics for several years now. Uh, I think he's in his third or fourth Olympic. Man, watch those guys play volleyball is amazing. Uh, they, you know, 
They used to say people play volleyball because they can't play basketball. Uh, I don't think so. Those guys are athletes. They jump out, well, they can't jump out of the room because they're not in the room on the beach, but these guys get amazing height. And, and they, 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 Dahlhauser and I think Lucerna is his partner, they lost in the first, first match. Makes it more difficult for them not to move on. Doesn't mean they can't. But they interviewed Phil Dahlhauser after the match last night. And they said, well, what do you need to do? He says, I need to work harder. He, he had COVID prior to coming to the Olympics. So he hadn't practiced. He hadn't worked with his team member. He, he's been on the sidelines. He says, I need, to get in, I need to get out there. I need to practice. I need to spend more time doing what I know I need to do to get to where I need to be. You know what that tells me? He's not quitting. He's not giving up. He's pursuing He's pressing on. He's giving it all that he can give. Paul knew that he was not complete. He says, or have I already perfected it? I haven't gotten it all down yet. Now, you think about the Apostle Paul, and who was he? He was, if you can let me say this, he was the epitome of a Christian. He was the one who people would look at and say, wow, look at that man. He loves God. Look at him, he's serving God. He's given everything he's got for God. And yet you ask Paul, he says, no, I'm not giving enough. I'm pursuing, I'm pressing on. I'm going to continue to give what I can because I haven't perfected yet. Haven't already attained yet. Paul's not talking about sinless perfection here. He's not talking about the, the idea of never sinning again. He chose this Greek word perfected here. It's the word for seasoned. The word for complete. Okay, has the idea of being mature. So he's not really concerned about sinless perfection. And you know why? Because he knows he won't reach that point until he sees Jesus face to face. But that doesn't mean he should stop. He wants to become more and more complete. He wants to become seasoned in his walk with the Lord. So he's pressing on. And that idea of that Greek word, it means that he... He knows there's more to do. Paul's been, been a Christian now when he writes this letter probably for some 30 years. Paul has accomplished much for the Lord. The Lord has used him in many ways, even to write the pages of Scripture. But Paul says, God's not finished with me yet. God's not done. There's still spiritual heights for Paul to climb. There's still spiritual victories for Paul to attain to. Man, no matter how long you have been a child of God, no matter how long you have known Christ as your Savior, there's still more that God has for you to accomplish, to do. I love it when you talk to old missionaries who have served for decades and they're no longer able to serve on the field. But you know what? Almost everyone that I've ever talked to, you know what they tell you? I'm not done serving. I'm still finding places where God can use me. I haven't retired from my service to the Lord. I think of Barb's dad. He's 81, okay, and 82. Used to, I mean, he was a pastor, he was a camp director at Christian camp. Uh, He did it all. And now he has a hard time getting around. So, People from church will call and say, hey, Lewis, we got VBS coming up. Um, we need some things cut out for crafts. Would you do that? <laughs> Absolutely. And, and I can tell you this, nothing gets cut out better than if he's doing it. 
I mean, he follows the line. It's, 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 it's amazing. Hey, hey, Lewis, we, we got this thing that we're trying to think through, and we can't quite figure it out. Can you help us think through it? Yeah, what's, what's going on? And he'll listen, and then he'll give advice. He'll give input. He's, he's still going on. He's still faithful, even though he's limited in what he can do. You see, that's what God wants for us. He wants us to be faithful. He wants us to press on. He wants us to never, ever quit in our service for him. You see, Paul knew he wasn't complete. Paul knew that even though he'd been serving the Lord for so many years, decades, there was still more God wanted him to do. He was not complete. He also knew that he had not yet conformed to God's plan for his life. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended. I haven't arrived. Haven't got there yet. Now, notice there, he says, brethren. That's a term of endearment. Paul loves the Philippian believers. He loves those that God has given him a chance to pour his life into. Paul endears himself to the Philippians by using this term, my little brothers or brethren. Then he goes on to remind them that there is still room in his life for becoming more like Christ. Now you know what that meant. If there was still room in Paul's life for him to become more like Christ... For the Philippians, there was still room in their lives for them to become more like Christ. And if that's true for Paul and for the Philippians, can I tell you there's still room in our lives to become more like Christ? So we need to adapt that mindset that Paul had. I'm pressing on. I'm never giving up. I'm never quitting. I want to burn out for Christ. I want to keep going until he takes me home. I want to be faithful to, Paul, to God. Paul also says that there's, we also see here, there's no egotism on Paul's part. There's no egotism. It's not about Paul. He says, I do not count myself to have apprehended. You know, Paul could have said, hey, I, I, I've, I've done a lot for God. I've done a lot for the cause of Christ. I think I'm just going to coast on for now. But that's not what it was. There were likely those at Philippi that, that were saying, hey, uh, you, you guys just take a break. You guys can just not be so dedicated to the cause. Just, just relax a little bit. Some were probably even claiming that they were perfect or they were complete in their spiritual journey. You know, some of our <clears throat> television preachers give you that impression, don't they? It's like, Look how important I am. Follow after me. You do what I do. And when you get to where I am, you'll be all set. No. Paul wasn't that way. Paul said, hey, I know that I haven't arrived. Listen to this thought. In contrast with what some Philippians were claiming about themselves, Paul did not regard himself as having obtained the final knowledge of Christ and the fullest conformity to him. Some may have taught that performance of Jewish rites could bring such perfection. So if you complete this outward act, if you perform this specific ritual, this rite of passage, if you will, you'll become more like Jesus. Paul saying nonsense. It's not what it's about. It's about knowing Christ and knowing him more fully. 
understanding that we'll never know him completely until we see him face to face. This testimony that Paul shares with the Philippians served as a reminder to them that they hadn't arrived yet either. They should continue to press on. Here's the reminder. They should never be at a point in their Christian life, and we should never be at a point in our Christian life where we plateau, where we become content with where we are. There should never be a stalemate when we, where we become indifferent to the things of the, of, the, of the world. God has placed us here where we are to live and to serve him. And in our service, we become more like Jesus Christ. And he might move us someplace else to continue on in that service for him. And that's why it's important we never become content with where we are and what we've done, what we've accomplished in this world. Now, before we go on, think about what kind of things in your own life might indicate that you've plateaued. Might indicate that you think in your Christian life you can sit back, put your feet up, relax, and just coast. What are some things that are going on that are evident in your life that might show that you've plateaued, that might tell others that you've plateaued? Can you think of any? Things that indicate, yeah, I'm satisfied with where I am in my spiritual journey at this point. Maybe a a lack of concern for others. We have an opportunity to serve. We have an opportunity to impact a person's life. We say, "Ah, yeah, you know, I'll leave that for somebody else. I'll just ride that out this time. How about maybe a lack of interest in being committed to spiritual things? We often will say, hey, there's an opportunity for service here. There's an opportunity for teachers in our children's ministry. There's an opportunity for people to work with our teens. There's an opportunity for this or an opportunity for that. And, and, and you might say, well, I don't know that I have the, uh, I can't teach. I'm not a teacher. You know what? If you love kids and you're willing to, to, to pour into them, God can make you an amazing teacher in their lives. He, he, he's not looking for a degree from SUNY to be a teacher in our children's programs. I remember a chapel speaker telling us many years ago in Bible college, God doesn't call the fit, he fits the call. If God's called you and put a burden on your heart to be involved in a ministry of teaching or helps or whatever, he doesn't look for those people who fit the bill He looks for people who are willing, and then he fits them to that call. He makes them able to do what he's called them to do. That's our amazing God. So let's let's be like Paul and never get to a point where we plateau and we say, okay, I've done enough serving for now. Let somebody else do it. Press on, never give up. Well, let's continue moving through our text this morning. We see that Paul was aware of the need for continued growth. 
He was aware of the need for continued growth. Not only was Paul not satisfied with where he was in his walk with the Lord, but he knew where he needed to be in his walk with the Lord. He also knew the steps that he needed to take to get there. He says that in verse 14, I press on, I press. He's striving to seize the opportunities God gives to him. I've said many times that we don't have to pray to ask God to give us opportunities to share the word with somebody or to serve him. We just have to be willing to seize the opportunities that God gives to us. They're there all the time. They're there regularly for us to take advantage of. Paul says, I'm pressing on, I'm striving to seize. I want to lay hold of that which God has called me to. This phrase has the idea, when he says to lay hold of, I press on to lay hold of, has the idea of overtaking by way of surprise and seizing something. Overtaking by way of surprise and seizing something. I remember this happening to me in junior high school. We were, I was in the band, and and our junior high band uh, traveled to all of the elementary schools to do concerts. Mr. Rotundi was our junior high band teacher. And Mr. Rotundi didn't put up with any nonsense. But we were at even my, if I could call it my alma mater, I went to Jefferson Elementary School in Messina. So we were at Jefferson to do a concert. And before the concert started, we were all outside waiting for them to let us in and set up to do the concert. And everybody was running around just having fun, having a good time, not at all focused on doing a concert in the next 10 minutes. Chasing each other, probably playing tag or tripping each other or whatever. And so I went to do something, tag somebody or something, and all of a sudden, Mr. Rotunda was behind me, and he had grabbed just this little bit of your hair back here, and he lifted up on that little bit. Now, just go ahead and do that for, I mean, for those of you that have hair. Uh, Go ahead and grab back there and lift up. It doesn't take much to get your attention, does it? He surprised me, and he grabbed that little tuft of hair, and, and he, I thought he was going to try and lift me off my feet. Now, teachers couldn't do that today. But anyway, he got my attention. He laid hold of something on me that made me stop what I was doing and say, Okay, Mr. Rotundi, whatever you want me to do, I'm here to do it. Yeah. Paul says, God, whatever you want me to do, I'm here to do it for you. I'm not, we're not fooling around here in the Christian life. A lot of what we do has eternity in view. You see, when we are willing to share the gospel, when we are willing to pour into the lives of others, it's not for the here and now. It's for eternity. When you communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ to somebody else and they trust Jesus as their Savior, they've been snatched from the pit of hell and changed course, moved direction on their way to heaven to God be the glory. You see, that's where we are here. Paul says, I want to to lay hold of that which God has called me to do. I want to be faithful in, in changing lives for eternity. I press on. 
I keep moving in that direction. He also understands what he needs to lay hold of. Now, Mr. Rotundi laid a hold of my hair, okay? That's not what we're laying hold of. We're laying hold of something that is far more important. Paul says we're on a holy quest. We're on a holy quest for which Christ has laid hold of us. Paul knew what God laid hold of him for. Remember his Damascus Road experience? Christ suddenly and dramatically seized Paul's life on that day. And at that time, Christ called Paul to a ministry that would monopolize his life from that day forward. His life would be compelled to serving Christ. What had Christ laid hold of Paul for on that day? Well, Christ told Ananias that Paul was chosen. Chosen for what? Well, Acts chapter 9, verse 15, he says, Go, he tells Ananias, go to Paul, this chosen vessel of mine, because he is going to bear my name before Gentiles. Eh, no big deal, especially if you're a Jew. Who cares about the Gentiles? Yeah, well, Paul was. Paul, and, and, you know, Paul was willing to give his life for the Gentiles. But it didn't stop there. Bear my name before Gentiles, before kings, and before the children of Israel. For I will show him, I will show Paul, how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Paul knew that God had called him to be an instrument of salvation to the lost, both to the Jews and to the Gentiles. Paul wanted to live his life in such a way that he didn't get in the way of God's purpose for his life. I confess, sometimes I get in the way of what God wants to do. I, I do, because I'm a still a human, and, I, and my, sometimes my human tendencies get in the way. We need to be asking God to help us not get in the way, to, to be on this holy quest like Paul was on, to live in such a way that God's purpose in our lives is not hindered. So you say, well, Pastor, what's my purpose? I'm not sure I know what my purpose is. Well, it's easy to sum up God's purpose for all of his children. We find it in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. You know it. You can probably quote it. Go into all the world and make disciples of Jesus Christ. We are to know Christ and to make him known. That's our purpose in life. That's what God has called us to. We are to have an intimate, ever-growing relationship with Jesus Christ that will cause others to see our love for him, our desire to serve him, and our commitment to him, and our genuine desire to share that with others. Paul wanted to lay hold of Christ's likeness and to let that be the testimony of his life. So he was willing to do whatever it took to become like Christ. He was on a holy quest. We see that Paul was striving to seize Christ's likeness. We also see that Paul was establishing a mindset for successful service. He says, I forget those things which are behind, and I reach forward to those things which are ahead. Forgetting those things behind. This is a twofold challenge for the child of God. Forgetting those things which are behind. What are the things that are behind for Paul? 
Well, for Paul, it was those self-righteous accomplishments of his religious past. Things Paul, things Paul mentioned in verses 4 through 7. Things that he could have easily boasted about. In fact, he said, if there's things to boast about, I've got more things to boast about than you guys could ever come up with. But that wasn't what he boasted about, was it? He didn't boast about it. He wasn't egotistical about it. You see, Paul was not talking about vain accomplishments, but he also was trying to help us understand that success in this life, even if it's Christian success, can hamper effective service for the cause of Christ if we're the ones who take credit for it. We should always be giving God the credit, always giving God the glory. So Paul forgets the self-righteous accomplishments of the past. Paul also doesn't want to dwell on sinful failures. Boy, does Satan love to get you to dwell on your sinful past. He wants you to think about how awful a person you might have been prior to knowing Christ. Hey, can I tell you this? You don't hold a candle to Paul's sinful past. Paul killed people. He was on his way to Damascus to bring people back to Jerusalem to have to face off against some insurmountable foe that would result in them losing their lives. Paul may not... Paul may never have, if you will, pulled the trigger, but he certainly was instrumental in the death of hundreds, probably, of followers of Christ. He was a bad man. But God broke into his life and changed him. He was such a bad person that when you read it in his first letter to Timothy, chapter 1, uh, verse 15, he says, Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and I love that next phrase. You know what it is? Of whom I am chief. Paul said, I am the worst sinner there ever was. I often use that phrase when witnessing to somebody. They might say, oh, I'm too bad a person. God can't save me. You know what my response is? Sorry, you can't have that title. Paul already claimed it. And Paul claimed it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So if he was calling himself the chiefest of sinners, guess what? He was the chiefest of sinners. And Jesus came into the world to save the worst of them. And Paul says, I can testify of how bad a person can be and how much of a difference Christ can make in their life. You see, Satan wants you to think how bad you are and think God would never use the bad person that I was. Listen to this. MacArthur says this, the believer must refuse to rely on past virtuous deeds and achievements in ministry or to dwell on sins and failures. To be distracted by past debility, debilitates one's efforts in the present. God doesn't care about your past. He's forgiven it. In fact, you know what? He's buried it in the depths of the deepest sea. He doesn't remember it. And that by, by not remembering it doesn't mean he can't remember it. He chooses not to remember it. 
And so he says, I want to use you in spite of what you were. So stop thinking about what you were or what you've done and focus on what we're going to do together to reach more for Christ and to bring glory to my name. Paul was forgetting those things which were behind. He also was reaching forward for those things that were ahead. Reaching forward. I've already reminded us that we're in the Olympics. And next week probably I think is track and field. And we're going to see guys run relay races and girls run relay races. And we're going to see people handing off the baton. That's the idea here. Paul is reaching forward to hand off. He's reaching forward. He's, giving, he's reaching as far as he can. He's putting every ounce of energy he has into reaching forward. He wants to grasp what God has called him to. He, Paul's using a, a picture here to paint something in our minds. He wants us to understand that we need to strain after Christ-likeness. Serving God is not supposed to be easy. Now, sometimes it is, but it's not always meant to be the easy thing. I remember in a Little League game, I was on, I was on base, and, and the pitcher turned and threw back to first base. And so what do you do when you are caught off the base? You dive back, right? Well, the problem was this time, the first baseman stepped between me and the bag. So as I'm diving back, I've got both one arm around one of his legs and one arm on the other side of his legs, and the base is just out of my reach because his foot is preventing me from getting there. And I know he's going to reach down and tag me, and I'm just trying. I'm reaching for that base with all I've got. I'm trying to grab a hold of it, but I can't. So he reaches down and he tags me out. I wasn't happy. I yelled, that's not fair. You can't do that. Nobody cared. But you see, I was reaching. As, I was giving it everything I could. I was trying to reach out and touch that base. I could almost feel it if I had two more inches on the end of my fingers. I could have got there. That's the idea that Paul's giving here. We give it all we've got. We put everything we can into it. We're straining to get there. And we don't quit until we have to. He's reaching forward to those things that are ahead. What does God have ahead for us? I don't know. You don't know either. At least not in full detail. So we trust God to lead us, to direct us, to guide us. But we do, what do we do? We do the next right thing. We do, we know, we do what we know God wants us to do at the moment. And we wait for him to give us the next thing to do. How do we find that? Well, God reveals it to us in our spirit, and he reveals it to us in scripture. He also already tells us that he has single-minded focus. If you want to know what the next thing for you to do in God's plan for your life, you need to have single-minded focus. Paul says, I press toward the goal. I'm reaching on, I'm pressing on towards the goal. This goal was the, make, was the marker at the end of the race that a runner would fix his eyes on. If you've ever run a race, you, don't, you know your coach tells you, you don't look at you know, your, the ground, 
You don't focus on the next two or three feet. You focus on that point right down there because that's the finish line. You can see the string that runs across. Or if you're so far behind, you focus on the next runner's number. You focus on his back. You're looking up. You're running, and then when you reach that, you go past it. You focus on the next runner and the next runner until you see the finish line, and then you focus on the finish line. That's where you go. No looking down. No looking. You don't look like this when you're running in a race. You're straight ahead focused. Paul says, I press towards the goal. I know where my eyes are fixed. My eyes are fixed. I'm becoming like Jesus. And he didn't take his eyes off of it. And you and I, we want that same single-minded focus. We want to press towards that goal, that goal uh, of being like Christ. So what does that leave us? Where does that put us this morning, right here, right now? Well, first of all, we need to be competing in the race. You can't look for the prize at the end of the, 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 the finish line if you're not in the race. If you're on the sidelines, you watch what's going by you. Choom, choom. You don't have any really idea what's going to happen at the end. But if we're competing in the race, excuse me, if we're competing in the race, we're striving for the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We're looking for the victory line. We want to win the race. Paul talks about this over in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. He says this. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? One of those, person, one of those people that are running are going to get the gold medal around their neck or the, the, the wreath around their head as it was in those days. He goes on to say, those of you in the race, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prizes is temperate in all things. Now they do, not do, it, now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we... For an imperishable crown. Therefore, Paul says, I run like this. Not with uncertainty, thus I fight. Not with one who beats the air. In other words, I'm not in a boxing match beating at the, bo- beating at the bag or the speed bag. I'm not punching the air. I'm in, a, I'm in a match. I'm in a fight now. And I'm going after the one who's in front of me. So he's punching the body now. He's not punching air. He's giving it all he's got. He knows that he can't quit, he can't let his guard down, he can't stop. It's all in. But I discipline, verse 27, my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So Paul is competing in the race. But more than that, we see here in our text in Philippians chapter 3 that Paul is completing the course. He's completing the course. The upward call of God in Christ Jesus. This is the completion of the course. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this. Again, writing to young Timothy at the end of his life, he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, we looked at it several weeks ago. Being confident of this one thing. That he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. You see, my friends, the upward call is when we stand before Christ, being complete, having received our rewards because we've seen Jesus and we are transformed into his likeness. We've become made like our Savior, Jesus Christ. Well, we close this morning with an admonition to all of Christendom. 
everyone who reads Philippians chapter 3 is admonished. Paul ends the paragraph by challenging the Philippian readers and anyone else who will read this passage of Scripture with something very specific. To all who are mature, to those that are growing and becoming more like Christ, let us have this in mind. Let us accept this challenge. What's the challenge? It's the mind of striving for the goal, reaching for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know what Paul said? He says, I know there's people that won't agree with me in that, in that striving, but you know what? They don't matter. It doesn't matter what they think. It matters what God has called me to, and am I willing to press on and strive for the goal? Am I willing to pay to take heed of what God has called me to do. Paul wanted the Philippians to continue to progress in their sanctification. What is sanctification? Sanctification is becoming more and more and more like Jesus Christ. It ends in glorification. It ends in becoming like our Savior. Paul talks about it over in Romans chapter 6. He says, Likewise you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is how sanctification continues in our lives. Consider yourself to be dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lusts. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. You and I, we should, progress, we should be in the process of becoming more like Christ with each passing day of our lives. It should be that which we live our lives for. Yes, we have jobs. Yes, we have families. Yes, we have things that we do on a daily basis. But all of those things should be tempered by doing them to advance the cause of Jesus Christ. What, is it, what does it mean to become more like Jesus? What does it look like? Well, I was trying to figure out a way to end our sermon this morning. And I came up with this idea because a, a certain thought kept coming back to my mind. A, a certain song, in fact, kept coming to my mind. Perhaps you've heard it on the radio. If you listen to Family Life, I'm sure you have. I'm going to play the video for you because, you know, sometimes we hear songs and we don't have an idea of what's in the author's mind. This is a song by Zach Williams, okay? Zach Williams is the bus driver, and the song is called Less Like Me. So give it a listen, and as you, it's kind of, it's certainly not a worship song, okay? But it's a fun song, and it's a song that draws our attention if we, if we think about it to what God would have us to do in becoming more like Jesus. Go ahead, Timothy, play it for us if you would. A little more like Jesus and a little less like me. Friends would walk up to me and be like, what the fuck is in your mug? And I would just tell them, it's mine.
Did you notice on the bus ride, kind of started off, everybody thinking about their own situation, their own desperateness that was going on in their lives. But as people started acting a little more like Jesus and a little less like themselves, the the whole attitude on the bus started changing. Those that were indifferent at first, eventually by the end of the song, because people are acting more like Jesus, they're starting to sing along. They're starting to get it. You see, that's the way it is in life. When you and I keep acting like Jesus, keep being the Jesus that people need to see in life, it makes a difference. I don't know if you, you might want to go home and watch the video again. You see, he, Zach Williams was on his way to an event, right? At the end it says, tent revival meeting featuring Zach Williams. He had his mind on something. He drove by the guys in the van who broke down and needed help. He could have kept on going. In fact, he did at first, and then he thought, oh, you know what? They need some help. So he backs up and lets them get on the bus. He helps them out. They're invited to join him on the bus. And then they're going along, and all of a sudden there's a flat tire in the bus. Oh no, they gotta, their mind is now focused on fixing the problem. But guess what? God caused that flat tire to happen so that those two girls who needed help could be helped along the way, probably by somebody who wasn't even thinking that he would help them when the day started. And yet God brought their paths along that way. The guy pushing the shopping cart, probably a homeless guy, needed help. Zach Williams opens up the bus door and says, come on, join in. Come on, get in. He's the last guy in the video who eventually says, hey, you know what? Maybe this Jesus thing is real. Why? Because he see people, he's seeing people on the bus be a little less like themselves and a little more like Jesus. You see, when you and I become a little more like Jesus and a little less like me, it begins to break down barriers. It begins to soften hearts. The song ends with that song, Tent Revival Meeting. How does revival happen? Revival only happens when there's less of me and more of Jesus. That's when revival happens. Less of me and more of Jesus. You see, that's what Paul is challenging us to here in Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. Pressing on the upward call of being like Jesus. It's not about what we are. It's not about what we think. It's not about what we've accomplished in our own abilities. But it's about being more like Jesus. Epaphroditus and Timothy were striving to be more like Jesus in chapter 3. Paul in in chapter 2, sorry, Paul in chapter 3 was an example of how we forget about our past, good or bad, and we reach for the call that transforms us into the image of Jesus Christ. A little more like Jesus. A little more like mercy. A little more like grace. A little more like kindness, goodness, Love and faith, a little more like patience, a little more like peace, a little more like Jesus, a little less like me. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning.